So just some thoughts for the younger ones among us. Uh, you have had now a few teachers in your day, right? So who are your favorite teachers? Oh, that's hard. It's hard because, um, yeah, it should be hard to pick and choose a favorite. Maybe all your favorites. So, you know, I have a great deal of respect for teachers. And we have a lot of people at Christ Church Lutheran who are teachers and some folks I know that are listening in that are teachers. And it's good to have you with us. And we wanna say thank you for teaching us so many things. I too, I, I don't know that I can tell you one of my favorite teachers. And I think I could probably list them all if you have 20 minutes. I've had a lot of teachers in a lot of schools, but, you know, starting with Miss Wandell in kindergarten. So, but teachers are wonderful and lovely. They teach us so many things. They teach us math and English and history and social studies. And maybe they teach us a little bit about life. Sometimes they use a blackboard well, do you still use blackboards anymore? Or is everything on iPad or computer or some visual? Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of, you know what a blackboard is, right? Yes. So where you take chalk and you just put up maybe the arithmetic problem, one plus one equals? Two. Two. So that's one way to learn math. But there are so many other ways to teach other than in a classroom or with an outline or a lesson plan or school. We learn things all the time, even from people who aren't teachers. And sometimes it's helpful for us to be paying attention to what we see and what we learn through just being a part of a neighborhood or a community or the world. And it's also important that we remember um, that Jesus was a teacher. So, I mean, we remember Jesus for a lot of things, but we have to remember that he was a teacher and maybe one of our greatest teachers too. What exactly do you think that Jesus was teaching? The gospel. He was teaching the gospel, the good news about who he was and about what he was doing in our world. And what are some of the other things that he might've been teaching us? Um, about God about God, because Jesus was the one who knew God, who knew the heart of God and wanted to teach us about God. Absolutely right. So good answers so far. What else did Jesus teach us? <laughs> I, I, I'm, bad at I'm bad at thinking about things immediately. Something so, well, I think 
what we know is that Jesus taught us a lot about loving one another, about how we might want to live our life, and about the wonder of creation, of all the things that God made, and so much more. And Jesus did more than just stand in front of a blackboard and teach us by giving us lessons and things like that. Jesus taught us by his teaching in the synagogue, the stories that he told. Uh, he taught us by healing people. He used visual uh, examples so often. And today's gospel lesson is one of them. He was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum and this man with an unclean spirit came in and began to disrupt him. And he challenged that demon or that unclean spirit cast him out and everyone was amazed at the power and authority that Jesus had to do something like that. And so even in today's gospel lesson, we begin to learn that Jesus has power and authority that not every teacher has. And it's a way for us to say, I want to learn more about this Jesus. And I want to watch more about the things that he does. And I want to pay attention more to the things that he's trying to teach me because I have a hunch that if we continue to listen to Jesus, the teacher, our life is going to be so much better. And one of the best things I think that he taught us was how to love, how we can love one another and how we can love God, but maybe the most important part is how much God loves us and how God wants so much for us in our life, including healing and wholeness. So we have a lot to think about today from Jesus, our teacher, don't you think? Yeah. So this is our prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our world and into our life to teach us so much and especially to teach us about God's love. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for the rest of us, what do we think about demons? <clears throat> For most 21st century Western civilization folks, casting out demons seems so primitive. Um, it's an ancient portrayal of how people thought about mental illness, perhaps. But if you know people that have suffered with schizophrenia, so often they will explain what they're feeling inside and they will use the word demon. They will say, I am full of a demons or, or more than one demon. These demons make me think things and do things and say things that I wouldn't say myself. And so there are people who believe in demons. I think there's a little more uh, for us to consider besides just saying, well, yes, I believe in demons and no, I don't. And the gospel lesson today brings us into that conversation. Our contemporary understanding of illness 
in no way diminishes, I hope, the two most important things that we can learn from the gospel lesson for today. And the first thing is that Jesus was a healer. Whether or not we fully understand illness or mental illness or demons, the lesson we have before us is that Jesus had the power to heal. And Jesus alone in our experience. And that doesn't mean that our doctors and nurses aren't valuable, but Jesus alone, I would say, is the greatest healer. The second thing we can learn from this gospel lesson is that there is a work, a force in the universe, an unseen dynamic, if you will, evil, we call it, that's capable of and eager to interrupt our lives and to get in between our relationship with God at all costs or at any means. So if we just take away those two things from the gospel lesson today, I would say we have a reminder that Jesus is the greatest healer and that evil in the world wants to get in the way of us establishing a deeper, truer relationship with this healer. So the setting of the gospel is Capernaum, and it was a town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, a small fishing village. There's a lot of excavation going on around Capernaum today. You can see the foundation of the synagogue that was there. You can see some homes. It's right up by the water. And Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum, uh, especially in his first year of public ministry. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen based out of Capernaum. And uh, when he was in Capernaum, I think he got to know a lot of the people, and he spent a lot of time teaching in that synagogue and performing miracles around the synagogue. So a lot of people knew him and maybe began to follow him. Some of the uh, stories we have of Jesus preaching to the huge crowds on hillsides, maybe the feeding of the 5,000, that kind of thing happened maybe on the hillsides just outside of Capernaum. So we have in our gospel lesson for today, this incredible story of a man who was possessed by a demon suddenly became quite agitated in Jesus' company. And the demon cried out in distress, identifying Jesus publicly as the Holy One of God and castigating him for having only one thing on his mind, namely the destruction of all demons. Interesting that a demon would know Jesus maybe more succinctly and truthfully than many other people around would know Jesus. It's safe to assume from the nature of the response of Jesus that maybe he was a little bit annoyed or even angry at this outburst by this demon. And he harshly rebuked this demon. He said, be silent and come out of this man. 
So whether we believe in demonic possession or whether we think we understand it or not, it is in one sense not germane to the real point of the gospel lesson because the point again is that nothing should be permitted to stand between God and us. Demons notwithstanding, there is so much in our world that can do that very thing. And surprisingly, even the things that do get in our way of having a healthy relationship with Jesus or with God, our Father, are such mundane things like marriage that is not healthy, like grief, like even shopping and be tempted to buy more than we should. And um, all these things can potentially cause trouble in regard to our pure and healthy relationship with God. So writes Paul in chapter seven and eight of his letter to the Corinthians, he said that nothing should be allowed to inhibit our unhindered devotion to the Lord. I think that's a hard one for us to really fully understand. If we have an unhindered devotion to the Lord, what does that mean? Does that mean that we have to give everything away and then sign up for a religious order and live in a convent or uh, you know, some kind of religious group for the rest of our lives? And the answer is no. It's just being mindful of the things that we have and the things that we do, how we identify ourselves and to see whether or not they actually get in the way of a good relationship. What Paul is suggesting is that even some of the most commonplace or mundane things can get in the way of our total devotion to God. And so in keeping with the lessons of the Epiphany season, this reading really ought to be a wake-up call for all of us to do some evaluation about where we put our priorities and what is important in our life. In this wonderful book uh, called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, Richard Foster writes about the so-called prayer of examine. And he writes this way. He says, how very strange that the prayer of examine has been lost to us who live in an age of obsessive introspection. What a loss. Then he says, what is the prayer of examine? It has two basic aspects, like the two sides of a door. The first is the examine of consciousness through which we discover how God has been present to us throughout the day and how we have responded to his loving presence. And the second aspect is an examine of conscience in which we uncover those areas that need cleansing, purifying, and healing. So examining our conscience every day to identify what needs cleansing, purifying, and healing is crucial to the health of our relationship or our connectedness to God. A failure to engage in this internal examination might result in things coming between us and God. 
Perhaps this is what David had in mind when he wrote in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we do then when we scan our souls and we find that there might be some things in there that need to be removed? some demons, we'll call them, things that stand between us and God. Very simply, we engage in what Richard Foster calls scrutiny of love. And this is how he explains it. He says, without apology and without defense, we ask to see what is truly in us. It is for our own sake that we ask these things. It's not there to make us feel guilty or shame. Goodness knows we have enough guilt and shame that we deal with as we are human beings in this world. But we're trying to be honest and we're trying to be healthier and better. We're trying to help this relationship with God be stronger and more loving and more connected. So with his scrutiny, Jesus begins to do in us what he did in the man at Capernaum who was possessed by a demon. He commands the demon to come out. For us, the cleansing may not exactly be like that. It may not be so sudden or so dramatic, but the result is no less freeing. In the New Testament, we're led to believe that the one thing that most hindered Peter, for example, from a healthy closeness to God, Peter's demon, so to speak, was what Jesus once referred to as his weak flesh. Peter's heart was in the right place, but under pressure of opposition, Peter always caved in. Perhaps the most dramatic example of this uh, in the high priest's courtyard, when he refused to even admit that he knew Jesus. But something happened to Peter over the years. He changed, he grew, he became strong, even to the point of becoming a martyr for the sake of Jesus Christ. Years after his colossal, colossal courtyard failure, he was able to speak these words of confidence and exhortation. He said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Peter's weak flesh or his demon was exercised. It freed him to breathe into others what had been once absent in his own life, courage, and that courage to speak God's truth so freely. And how did it, how did it happen? Well, by examine, by subjecting his soul to the daily scrutiny of Christ not of Christ's finger pointing shame, but of Christ's love to show us all the way through that we are cherished by God 
and to expose any demons that are inside that would lessen our relationship with this loving God. In John's Gospel, Jesus cautions his disciples and us with these words. He's, it says, in the world you face persecution. In other words, there are demons of all kinds that are going to affect you, disrupting your life and threatening your devotion to God. But then John says, take courage. I have conquered the world. That's John quoting Jesus, reminding us that Jesus has conquered the world. That's the authority that Jesus brings by sharing God's love and by helping us cast out our demons. So to believe in demons or to not believe in demons, either way, the fact remains that things do get between God and us. And when that happens, we remember that it is Christ and Christ alone who has power to heal us from whatever it is that ails us or that is our weak flesh. So remember, we have a great teacher in Jesus, a great healer in Jesus, and a great reminder today to look into our own soul and invite that healing Jesus in to build up the relationship that we have with God so that we know without a doubt that God loves us and cares for us and who knows, might use us in incredibly lovely and wonderful ways to be a witness in the world. Amen. <laughs>